Chapter 19 of Four Mothers at Chautauqua by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. We'll do it together. However, before she reached the top stair, she had decided that perhaps, under the circumstances, this was the best that could have happened. The Roberts family would certainly not feel at liberty to spend very much of the salary on clothes, and a few clothes Hazel must have at once. The girls were simply insistent about that. The more she thought of it, the more she felt that it might be providential, Mrs. Bradford was never quite sure on that point. If there was gossip afloat, it would be a great thing to have the protection of Mrs. Evan Roberts. "'Dear Mrs. Roberts has taken such a fancy to my niece that we are really almost jealous. She is staying with them now, helping a little in the care of the children, in the interval between nurses, you know. Oh, she is well acquainted with them. She has been out driving with the family.' She heard herself explaining to the curious after some such fashion, perhaps to those who had tried to gossip, she liked the sound of it. Moreover, what an entering wedge to intimacy with the Roberts family it might be, later, to have Hazel so well acquainted with them. She would tell her that she would better accept the offer. It was her full intention to superintend the interview between Mrs. Roberts and her niece, but possibly Providence arranged otherwise. It appeared that the owner of the cottage had been visiting her attic, and was waiting at that moment to have an interview with her tenant about an important matter. Hazel had already started to summon her aunt for the purpose, and met her at the head of the stairs. There was just time to explain hurriedly the nature of Mrs. Roberts' errand, and to urge acceptance on the ground that the salary would relieve her uncle, at least a little, in his difficult task of supporting them all, when the lady appeared and claimed her attention. Hazel whisked past them, and flew down those narrow and treacherous stairs like a winged creature. Could Mrs. Bradford have heard the opening words of that interview below stairs, she would have been less certain of the providential element. "'Dear child, what have you been doing to yourself? You look positively ill.' "'Oh, I'm not ill. I've been having a perfectly terrible time, and have cried ever so much. That is what is the matter with my eyes.' Then Mrs. Roberts, watch in hand, said tenderly, "'Poor little girl, I want to hear all about that perfectly terrible time as soon as I can. But just now I must talk very fast. I am late for an appointment.' "'Has your aunt told you that I want to run away with you for a little? "'Will you come to us, dear, and help us with the children for a few days?' "'Hazel's tear-swollen eyes flashed joy at that, "'and to cover emotion that evidently lay near the surface, "'she clasped her hands in an extravagance of delight, "'murmuring in tragic tones, "'Oh, Mrs. Roberts, will I spend a few days in heaven?' "'Mrs. Roberts laughed appreciatively.' The Athenium is far from being heaven, dear, although it is a very good hotel. Then I may send for you this evening, may I not? Your aunt and I have made all the arrangements about that important matter of clothes, so they need not delay you, and there are special reasons why I want you for to-morrow. Now I really must run. I have quite overstayed the time that was at my disposal, and it is shocking in me to be late." Then, because she was a little woman, she stood on tiptoe to kiss Hazel's glowing cheek as she said, "'You and I will have some quiet talks together, dear.' 
It was early on the following morning that a number of guests at the hotel were gathered on one of the verandas, waiting for the summons to breakfast, and watching the gambols of a group of children on the lawn. Little white-robed fairies flitting about a central figure, a young girl in a freshly laundered white dress that had become too small for her, and was worn and darned in several places. But the defects were skilfully hiding under a ribbon here and a flower there, and the whole effect was of girlish grace and winsomeness. She sat on a rustic seat under a great tree, and was deftly weaving a flower wreath for one of the children who waited to be crowned. Other babies were clamoring for like service. "'One at a time,' the girl said brightly. "'There shall be a wreath for each of you before the day is done, but we must crown Marjorie first, because she is to be a flower girl, you know.' "'And me next!' piped up a shrill voice, because I'm to sing at the concert. Oh, yes, of course, our four singers must be crowned. Sing a verse of your song for me while I work. Instantly they formed in line the four important ones who had part in the children's cantata to be given that afternoon, and their shrill little voices rang out in song. The sun was shining on the sea, shining with all his might. He did his very best to make the billow smooth and bright. And this was odd, because it was the middle of the night. It's an awfully silly song, one singer paused to criticize, cause the sun doesn't shine at all in the night. The moon does, shouted the little one standing next. Let's sing the moon verse. Forthwith they sang, the moon was shining sulkily because she thought the sun had got no business to be there after the day was done it's very rude of him she said to come and spoil the fun the sea was wet as wet could be the sands were dry as dry you couldn't see a cloud because no cloud was in the sky no birds were flying overhead there were no birds to fly what utter nonsense to teach to children exclaimed Eureka Harrison, who was among the company on the veranda. "'So it is,' admitted a lady standing near her, "'but it is from the cantata that is to be given this afternoon, Lewis Carroll's absurd story of The Walrus and the Carpenter, you know. Have you heard it? It's ridiculously funny and charming. How well those children sing it! Who is the girl who is training them?' "'Her name is Hazel Harris,' Eureka said briefly. Then a lady at her elbow volunteered information. She is a new nurse girl, I think. At least I know that some of the mothers have been looking for help, and she has been around with those children all the morning. She is very pretty, isn't she, and graceful? At that moment Burnham Roberts left the post against which he was leaning, and moved to the side of the one who had first questioned. I beg your pardon, Miss Woodbury, he said. Did I hear you asking about the young lady on the lawn with the children? She is Miss Harris of New York, a friend of my mother. She has come to help us look after those little terrors down there for a few days in the absence of their nurse. When he reached Eureka's side a moment afterwards, he had a word for her ear alone. I happen to know that my mother is anxious that Miss Harris shall not be mistaken for an ordinary nurse girl, because she is with the children. Of course you will help us in correcting any such absurd impression. I shall not go around telling it, if that is what you mean, she answered coldly, though I fail to see what particular harm such an impression could do. 
"'It is not true,' he said, speaking with more sharpness than the occasion seemed to her to require. "'Falseness always does harm.' Then their attention was diverted to the scene on the lawn. Other children had arrived and were trying to get close to Miss Harris, to the discomfort of one small boy who was shouting fiercely to another, a trifle older than himself. "'You keep away! You can't have her!' "'I can, too!' "'You can't have her, not one tainty-taunty. She's ours!' "'She ain't either!' "'She is, too. She belongs to just us nine. Mama said so.' "'Teddy!' called Burnham Roberts in a tone of authority. "'Hold on there, little chap. Don't be rude.' "'Well, but, Uncle Burnham, Miss Harris is just ours. Mama said so. And Grandma did, too.' "'That's all right, Teddy. Hold on to her forever. But don't forget that you are a gentleman.' His next words were for Eureka in complacent tones. "'That mother of mine is a genius.' He was still gazing down upon the ever-moving group below. Eureka's eyes followed his. So far as she could discover, no mother was in sight. "'I don't feel disposed to challenge the statement,' she said, "'but I fail to see the connection.' He laughed cheerfully. I was thinking of Miss Harris and the masterly way in which my mother accomplished the impossible. Do you know that the child is the victim of a belligerent and otherwise objectionable aunt who was making life miserable for her? But yesterday my mother alighted down upon them, like a visitor from another world, and spirited the child away without commotion or jar of any sort, without even antagonizing the aunt. She created, while she talked with her, a field of usefulness for the niece that served as an excuse, and accomplished it all within an hour's time. Isn't that evidence of genius? It is evidence of idiocy, muttered Eureka, but not until she had turned away from Burnham and had only herself for a listener. Pursuing the same train of thought an hour later, she gave a less harsh version of it to Mrs. Dennis. With all due deference to Aunt Flossie's loveliness and general fascinations, don't you think she is sometimes a bit of a goose? Flossie, said Mrs. Dennis, surprised, I haven't had such a thought for a great many years. On the contrary, I think her a wonderfully wise little woman as a rule. What has she done to suggest such a dreadful idea? Oh, I don't mean anything very dreadful, Eureka said with a little laugh. I agree with you as a rule. I'm as fond of Aunt Flossie as any person can be, but all the same I think she has been rather foolish in bringing that Harris girl here. She must know as well as we do that her son simply can't resist the charm of a new and pretty face, and when kittenish manners are added, as they are in this case, he is hopeless, for a few hours. Why doesn't she protect the girl from the inevitable if she really wants to help her? That's what I don't understand. Mrs. Dennis gave Eureka's face, that was only partially turned toward her, a sudden searching look before she made any response. Then she said, You are thinking only of the child? You have no fear of the effect on Burnham? Eureka drew herself up almost as though the question were personal. Not the slightest, she said, turning bright, keen eyes fully upon the questioner. "'Aunt Marian, how can you possibly ask such a question when you know him so well? There was never a man better able to take care of himself than Burnham Roberts. But that makes one all the more anxious for the girl. 
he simply doesn't mean anything at all but how is she to know that before it is too late for her happiness they were interrupted before other words could be spoken but mrs dennis who a little later was waiting for her party in one of the small reception rooms and thinking over eureka's outburst began unconsciously to hum the words of the children's moon verse the sun was shining sulkily because she thought the sun had got no business to be there after the day was done it's very rude of her she said to come and spoil the fun the only other occupant of the room was her brother-in-law the missionary from utah he lowered the morning paper at which he was glancing and looked at her curiously has much music gone to your brain he asked else why this remarkable selection she laughed shamefacedly i must have been thinking aloud she said i didn't realize that i was singing it is the children's moon song and there is a great deal of human nature in it i have just been having an interview with the moon while she was acting that very part and didn't know it by this time burnham roberts had departed with his mother and hazel to secure the best possible position for viewing the morning's doings the great day of the chautauqua season known to the initiated as recognition day had arrived but i am to stay with the children hazel had said her eyes wide with surprise as immediately after breakfast mrs roberts made her acquainted with the program not to-day was the smiling answer the children's mothers are anxious that you should see the sights this morning they think you may not have an opportunity again to see so unique a procession the children will be well cared for their aunt eureka says that all she wants of the day is earl barnes's address so she has engaged to keep them within calling distance until nora is at liberty that is precisely like you had been burnham roberts undertone comment to eureka when he heard of this arrangement you can always be relied upon for doing the unexpected and the thoroughly kind and unselfish thing we'll do it together this time i'm going to give the little girl the day of her life you are going to begin the misery of her life eureka thought but did not say she watched the three move gaily down the hill to the time of the chiming bells mrs roberts being apparently as care-free and ready for pleasure as was the young girl beside her watched them with gloomy eyes why didn't that little mother see what she was doing the time of her life indeed if somebody could only warn the poor girl instead of which i offered to help so that we could do it together the laugh with which the soliloquy closed had in it a touch of bitterness this girl was by no means certain that she relished the lifelong program that she believed was mapped out for herself yet her uppermost thought that morning was pity for the little idiot who was marching gaily to her doom End of chapter 19